Pastor Jason. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast from United Church. We pray that this blesses and encourages you in your walk with God. If you'd like to find more information about our church, including our address, upcoming events, or find a place to give, feel free to visit our website at fergusunited.org. God bless and enjoy the message. We're going to spend some time in Luke chapter number one today. We're going to really walk through about 15 verses of scripture, but we're going to take our time doing it. And I want to preach to us on the subject of Zachariah's big secret. Zachariah's big secret. We're very quickly introduced to a couple of people here, an actual couple in scripture when we get to Luke chapter number one. And they are of priestly lineage. So they're, they're both, interestingly enough, able to track their heritage back to the priesthood. Um, we'll read about them. Luke chapter number 1. To give you enough time to get there. Luke chapter number 1. I'm going to start at verse 5 and read two verses, 5 and 6. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacchaeus of the course of Abiah. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. So to say the least, this couple that we're introduced to, they're not new converts. I mean, Elizabeth is of the lineage of Aaron. Ooh, she's special. They, they've got the background. They've got the pedigree. They've, they've been raised in the church, if you will. They've been around for a little while. It also tells us that they were righteous. They were righteous people. Um, now, you, let's put it in context. This is right around the time that Jesus is getting ready to come on the scene. So it would not have been said of the vast majority of those filling the priesthood, the Pharisees, that they were righteous. It does not describe this couple as self-righteous as many of them had become or pompous. It says in the scriptures that we read that they were righteous before God. So when the Lord looked down at Zacharias and Elizabeth, he described them as righteous. It goes on to say that they kept all the commandments and expectations of the Lord. So they were good saints. This is a couple who were strong in their faith. They weren't wavering. They weren't, uh, you know, strong one day and and faltering the next. They were consistent. They They were faithful in their service. They were called upon. They were of priestly lineage, so they had responsibilities and duties that they had to fulfill. It was not just the commandments, but the Scripture lets us know it was all of the commandments and the expectations of the Lord that they they strived to keep and to honor God in obedience. They were humble in their positions of leadership. Again, it's, it's a contrast to what we read about in the Gospels more often than not when we read about Pharisees of the day. They, they must have stood out. They must have been different 
from the rest because they're described in a very positive sense. We get to verse 7 and we learn something else about them. Verse 7 of Luke 1 says, And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren and they both were now well stricken in years. So we see here very quickly that they are a good couple. They're a righteous couple. They're a faithful couple. They're consistent. They do their best to honor God. And yet this decision to be faithful and put God first and be obedient to His Word does not by any means exempt them from hardship or heartache. They were without child because Elizabeth was barren. And now they're both getting beyond the age, not getting beyond the age. The Scripture lets us know they were beyond the age of what would be natural to have a child. Their motivation in serving God was not that He had provided them with a perfect life. It wouldn't be said of Zacharias and Elizabeth that, that well, it's, it's easy to see why they live for God the way they do. He's, he's given them everything they've ever wanted and they've been blessed and, and, and they've got all the right stuff and, and everybody wants to be like that. No, everybody didn't want to be like them. We don't understand the stigma that would be associated with barrenness as it was in that day. Elizabeth had lived her life under the pressures of knowing she could not provide her husband with children. That was a major, major thing in this day. Zacharias had somehow had to come to grips through the years with the fact that he would not be able to extend his lineage, which was this was an important thing to the Jews. I mean, it starts out telling us who they were by describing who they had come from. We, we learned in listening to Brother Tim Green's message a while back how they viewed that, that you could trace back what you had access to because if, if someone in your lineage, if someone in your, your bloodline was promised something, that would be transferred down to you. So Zacharias and Elizabeth are, are confronted daily with the fact that all of the promises that had been given to their bloodline, all the promises that should be transferred through them would, would stop with them. The Scripture does not tell us that this lack of children was sent from God. It's important for us to recognize that. Sometimes we, we find ourselves in hard situations and we pray things that are a little bit maybe offensive to the Lord. God, why are you doing this to me? God's not... It didn't say that, that God had prohibited her from having children. This was just something that came their way in life. God did not keep it from happening. He allowed it to happen, but it doesn't say that He caused it to happen. But it also does not show us a picture of this couple allowing it to become something that makes them resent God. Well, God, that's fine. You're not going to let us have any children, then we're just, we're just going to dig our heels in. We're not going to serve you the way we should. We're going to have a little bit of an attitude or a chip on our shoulder. I'll serve you in the days that it, it's not so raw, but, but when I'm having a bad day thinking about not having any children, well, I'm not going to the temple that day and, and I'm not going to do my service that day because, because of what you've allowed into my life. It doesn't show us that. Right. They serve God because He was God. They serve God because He was good despite their hardship 
And so they were able somehow to, to look past their difficulty and focus in on the greatness of the God that they were serving. And they were able to be obedient and faithful despite their hardship. We see that their entire life was not marked by hardship. They also had some very high, high moments in their life. Picking up at verse 8, we begin to read at what was probably the highlight of Zechariah's life. It says that it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. We read through this and it doesn't, doesn't really resonate, doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But what he had here was a very rare opportunity. It would likely only happen once in the lifetime for a priest during this time period. It was a very high, high honor. Only priests from certain lineages were permitted to serve inside the temple. So the priesthood at large had many tasks and many duties, but God had ordained that, that there were only going to be certain bloodlines that would operate and minister inside the temple. He was blessed to be of one of these bloodlines. However, it's estimated that by the time of Jesus, which we're going to see here that Zachariah and Elizabeth, if you haven't already put it together, this is the parents of John the Baptist. So we're nearing the time of Jesus. And around this time, there were somewhere close to 20,000 priests. 20,000 priests. The incense would be, would be burned before God once a day. So you do the math. Odds aren't great. There's 365 days in a year. There's 20,000 priests. And there's only a certain amount of years which they qualify to go in and, and do this task before the Lord. So for it to fall on him, it, it was a high honor. Each day in the morning and in the evening, three priests would enter the temple to do these services. One priest would be tasked with cleansing the altar and tending to the fire. One would be tasked with killing the sacrifice and sprinkling the blood and one would go before the altar in prayer for the people and to burn incense. The priests that performed the first two tasks would return in the evening to repeat their duties, but it was not so for the burning of incense. It was a, a one-time thing. The multitude of people that are described in the passages that we just read were, were people who would gather together for morning prayer and worship Prior to this time of morning sacrifice, the congregation of Israel, people would, would gather together at the temple and they would begin to pray and, and seek after God before the sacrifice and before this process would unfold. In their time of prayer, they would, they would watch as the first two priests exited. The, the three priests would go in together. The first two would perform their duties and then they would leave and that would leave one priest left alone in the temple to stand before God, pray for the nation, and burn incense. So these people that are gathered together on the outside, this has been happening for years and years and years. They know the process. 
They, they gather together for prayer. They watch the three priests enter in. They, they see those two priests come back out. And they know at this moment that there is one priest that is standing in the manifest presence of God praying on behalf of them. So they would kneel down, they would bow, they would wait for his exit. It's at this moment that Zacharias has an amazing experience. Number one, that, that alone would be an amazing experience. We're accustomed to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We're accustomed to coming into a service like we're in today and, and just in a matter of seconds, people begin to pray and worship and everybody gets to feel the manifest presence of God. Everybody gets to feel the Lord's presence show up and, and actually become tangible. You can feel it. You can sense it. You know it's there. But these people, they served God with a mental knowledge that He was there minus what we experience. The only ones that would experience what, what we've experienced here today is the individual standing where Zacharias was. So they wanted to know what it, what it was like. They, they wanted to know how it felt to experience that, to be there. To be the only or one of the only men on earth to have stood in the manifest presence of God. Surely when he came out, his wife, among many others, would want to know, Zacharias, tell us, tell us what it was like. What, what, what was it? What did it feel like? What, what kind of senses did you have? Explain it to us. Talk to us about it. But Zacharias's experience takes a, a much rarer turn and his eyes land on an angel that is standing next to the altar. Now, Zacharias didn't know what to expect when he went in there either. He had only heard testimony of the other priest that he had probably questioned in the same way that people would question him after his service today. And so he doesn't know, does, does everyone see an angel? Is it just me? Am, am I losing my mind? What's happening here? And we read in verse 11, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness. And many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Zacharias' experience is now elevated above those of, of others who have gone in before him. And he stands in a unique position where not only has he been in a place where he could feel the presence of God, but the Lord has sent an angel to him and delivered a great message to him that, guess what, Zacharias, you're going to have a boy. You're going to have a son after all these years. Your, your prayer has been heard. I'm going, to, I'm going to send a child into your life. And your lineage is going to continue. And not only that, let me go a little bit further. He's going to turn the hearts of people to God. He's going to be a, a great man of God. He's going to gather together the people. He's going to prepare a path for the Messiah to come. You know, the Messiah that you've been waiting on for so long. 
I'm going to bring a, a child into the world through you and your wife. And, and he's going to be the one that gets everybody ready. What an experience. Talk about leaving a good church service. Walk away with a promise. And a hope that Messiah, the, the one that people have been waiting on for decades, he's, he's finally going to come. He's finally going to be there. Zacharias responds in verse 18. I'm going to read through verse 22. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that standeth in the presence of God. And am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, now this isn't the greatest news to hear from an angel. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed. Because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias, and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. So you've got the scene that said all the people that were gathered together for morning prayer, morning sacrifice and worship, and, and they're there, and they see the, the first two priests come out, and, and you know how it is when you're in a prayer meeting, it goes too long, they all kneel down and and they pray for a while, and they're looking. Did, did, did I miss him? Hey, did he come? No, he ain't come out here. Okay. So they pray a little while longer. Hey, are you sure we didn't? Maybe he stuck out the back. No? Okay, then keep praying. Maybe he died. <laughs> they're marveling that he tarried so long. That's, that's what you do sometimes when the preacher preaches too long. Wow, he's still going. They marvel, what, what could be taken so long? They took note of the fact, what, what did God say? But this, this waiting, this anticipation for him to come out created an expectation of what it was that they were going to hear. When he came out, they want to know, what did God say? What, what, what took so long? It must be a great message. It must be something important. Tell us. Zacchaeus has had this incredible experience and an angelic visitation and the greatest news that God's people had been given in years. He was going to have a son. His son was going to be the forerunner for the Messiah. Oh yeah, the Messiah. He's coming very soon. The experience of Zechariah and the expectation of the people charged the atmosphere and set the stage for an amazing proclamation. You can almost see it unfolding. Zacharias is going to step out. He's going to share this good news and it's going to change the lives of so many people. Zacharias comes out of the temple. He motions for the people to come. And they all gather around. And he says, nothing. It's like, what a letdown. Build up to this giant climax. And then nothing. Why did you call us over here? Why were you beckoning for us to come? It says they perceive that he's seen a vision. Clearly the guy's been with God, but he will not say anything. Nothing is coming out of his mouth. No words. He's standing before the people. And the key is found in verse 20, where the angel speaks to him in response to his question. 
And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed. Why? Because thou believest not my words. His inability to share was connected directly to his inability to believe. He's got an angel standing before him. If an angel ever shows up, you can take them at their word. Right? He's in the presence of God. He's in the temple. An angel stands before him and gives him some good news. And he says, how do I know you're telling the truth? My wife's pretty old. I've been waiting for a long time. Yeah, I'm not buying in. It's almost like Gabriel gets a little bit irritated. I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I have brought you this great message. You want a sign? Here's a sign, buddy. You're not going to be able to speak. And so his inability to communicate the message that he had been given is directly tied to his inability to believe what the angel said would actually come to pass. I'm sure he wanted to believe. He wasn't, he wasn't a, a bad guy. We read in the beginning he was righteous. He was, he was right before God. He tried to do the right thing. He had a relationship with the Lord. He wanted to believe the Messiah was going to come. He wanted to believe that God was going to answer the prayers that he had prayed through all these years. But there was just something inside of him that said, I don't know if this is really going to happen. I, I, don't, I don't know if I can believe what you're saying. You know, the fact of the matter is you and I have a lot in common with Zacharias. We've got a lot more in common with him than we would like to admit. Many of us have a common experience as apostolic believers. We can look back to our apostolic roots and see that we have an an amazing lineage. Maybe not in our our physical life. I've been on this thing. I did the Ancestry.com thing. And I I now know that I'm a white guy. (laughs) Just in case there was any concern before. Um, (laughs) That's not in my notes. Anyway, my my physical lineage is not really all that impressive. I I paid the money. I did the thing. I spit in the tube. and You're a white guy. I knew that. Okay, so it's not that impressive. No one cares. But I got a, a spiritual lineage where I can look far back beyond the people. Where did I say I was even from? You get to tell your kids though, your wife. Yeah, hey, guess what, guys? European. European. I can look far back past my, my European ancestors and I can trace my, my spiritual lineage all the way back to the apostles. To the ones that walked with Jesus. And, and we can look back to the mighty revivals that have happened through time and say, yeah, I'm, I'm connected with that. I've got a, a good strong lineage just like Zacchaeus did. We're a royal priesthood, the scripture has called us. Our faith is laid upon the foundation of solid apostolic doctrine. We strive and do our best to live righteously before the Lord in all of our efforts and endeavors. Sure, we've experienced difficulties in life, but we know that God is bigger than the things that we go through. And so we continue to press on. We continue to serve God and His grace carries us through all of these difficulties. 
We've also experienced great blessing and we've had high times in the presence of God where it seemed like everything was going right. We've received an amazing message from the Lord. Our experience is second to none. When we talk about salvation, the power of repentance, when it seems foolish to the world, but the fact that you can come before God and simply own up to your mistakes and admit that you were wrong and ask for mercy and leave cleansed and and leave forgiven. There's something powerful about that. The fact that you can go down under regular old tap water in a name that's far from regular, the name of Jesus, and all of your past sins and mistakes can be washed away and you can be cleansed. The fact that that presence isn't just manifest around us in a church service, but that God's presence will come and live inside of you as He fills you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We have had an incredible experience. Nobody outside of the apostolic faith has experienced what we talk about, has experienced what we what we see. We've received a message just like Zacharias that has eternal implications to the multitudes. We use graphics and invitations and social media and our holiness standards and our lifestyles to motion for the attention of the people around us. We want to be seen. We want people to notice so that we can, we can lead them to Jesus. But oftentimes, we remain silent. Like Zacchaeus coming out of the temple and, and beckoning to the people. And they all gather around. We live our lives for the Lord. And we look different. And we talk different. And we operate different within our families. And our schedules look different because we're involved in church. And we're connected to things of God. And, and we're doing things differently. And we conduct business differently. And we're beckoning to everyone to, to look upon us because there's something different. But too many times it's not partnered with a voice that explains why and who has made the difference. And we stand unable to mutter a word of our message. Why? We have to ask why. Many times our inability to speak up and out is a result of our unbelief. Just got to be honest in church today. We don't doubt the existence of God. For the most part, we don't, we don't wake up in the morning and after experiencing all that God's done for us and go, oh, is God real? No, we know that God is real. We don't doubt the power of God. I hope you don't. The Lord's been too good to us. I hope you're, you're confident in the message of salvation and the words of this book. We don't doubt the message. We don't look back and doubt our experiences or even the need for others to hear it. We've seen too much to be found as unbelieving in those areas. Those things we have down. Those things we've got a good grip on. And yet unbelief keeps us silent. I believe it shows up in two areas. Number one, we do not believe that those around us desire to hear the message. There's an unbelief that keeps us from sharing this message of hope and salvation and eternal salvation from those around us. And it is that somehow the enemy has convinced us that the people we're surrounded by do not want to hear the message. And so we don't believe they want to hear. And because we don't believe they want to hear, we stand silently in their presence. 
Sin has so filled our society that people are often unable to see their own need for the message. The scripture says that it is the God of this world who has blinded the eyes of them that believe not. The inability to see a need for Jesus does not equate to a lack of desire for Jesus. Trying to help us today. Just because people aren't walking around saying, man, I I sure need to know about Jesus. I sure need to know about hope. I sure need to know about peace. They're not saying it in these terms. What they're doing is they're going out and they're getting high. They're going out and they're getting drunk. They're going out and they're throwing their lives into careers and they're abandoning their families and becoming workaholics. They're going out and they're telling lies about themselves to to try to build themselves up and they're tailbearers. And they're trying their best to, to look for something that will fill the void that they're looking for. No, they're not standing on top of their chairs saying, somebody please tell me about Jesus. But all the things that they throw themselves at is just an attempt to find an answer to the questions that resonate within them. You name the sin, and I'll show you a person trying to fill the void in their life that only Jesus can fill. You name it. What is it? It's an attempt. It's an attempt to fill whole. It's an attempt to fill peace. It's an attempt to fill loved. Add to the saturation of sin the prevalence of misrepresentation of our message through false doctrine. And it's no wonder that people shy away from the mention of the name of Jesus. Many people that you encounter can say, and in honesty from their point of view, that they have tried Jesus. I've tried that church thing. I've tried Jesus. When in fact, the sad reality is they were sold another Jesus. Different from our message. Many people have been presented with a Jesus that has no power because it's a Jesus that doesn't fit within the parameters of His Word. It's a God loves everything. You do whatever you want to do. Just come to church and keep putting money in the offering. Just follow our group. Just be with us. La-di-da. And it has nothing to do with the biblical message that we've been given. It's the equivalent of Zacharias coming out and and saying, guess what, guys? I'm going to have a son. He's going to be a a star athlete. That's what he's going to be. He's going to be great. Everybody's going to love him. He's going to be wonderful. No, that wasn't the message. That was part of the message. And so a lot of people are frustrated with Jesus, and they've never even met Jesus. They're frustrated with the church because they've never come in contact with With people who actually live the Word of God. Or do their best to live the Word of God. I'm not making a proclamation or a claim that we're perfect. But we're we're trying. And so people could look at you and say, well, I've, I've tried that. There ought to be enough confidence in what you know about God to say you've tried. You've tried something similar. But you haven't tried this. We've got to be able to speak up. People have always been hungry to experience the presence of God. When you look back, there's, there's always people that are long, they're, they're out there. They're chasing, they're chasing things. Many times it leads them into sin. Now, in a world of chaos, people are looking for stability. You know what? Sometimes the church gets called up in trying to present itself as the next best thing. We're not the next best thing. You know what the the best thing the church has going for it right now? We're the same thing we've always been. 
We haven't changed. We're not wavering. We're not giving things up. We're not trying to, to reconfigure ourselves to fit a post-COVID world. We're not trying to re, redesign the message. No, it's the same message that it's always been. And people are now not only looking for the power of God, but, but you talk to people and they say, I just want things to be normal. I, I just want some consistency. And, and they're looking, they're, they're, they're scouring the, the place for just show me something that's stable. It sets the stage for a great proclamation. Both of these things, stability and power, can be found in an unchanging apostolic message. They can be found in the Jesus of the Scriptures. The second area of unbelief that keeps us from delivering our message is we do not believe many times that we are capable of delivering the message. We believe the message. We believe the God of the message. We come to grips with people around us need to hear the message. And yet there is a self-consciousness that says, I am inadequate to deliver the message. So I will just keep my mouth shut so I don't mess anything up. The importance of the message itself can intimidate us into silence. You ever have a job that's really important? Like you, you can't mess this up. Somebody give you a task and then they just elaborate for longer than it took them to tell you what the task was, how important it was that you don't get this wrong. How does that make you feel? I don't even want this job. I quit. I don't want any part of this. Too much pressure. We take on more pressure than the Scripture asks us to. Because somehow we get in our minds that, that it's our responsibility to share the message, get the message into their heart, make them mentally understand the message, and then cause them to respond to the message. That's not your job. Your job is to share the message. Amen. Now, we want to be wise. You don't walk up to people and act like a jerk. Hey, idiot. You need to know Jesus. Did my job. Wrong. Right? We gotta, we've got to be smart. The Scripture says we're fishers of men. That means we, gotta, we want to have the right bait. And if the bait I'm using isn't working, I'm not going to just keep throwing it out in the water. I'm going to change the bait. Because if I'm going to sit out there and fish, I at least want to catch fish. <clears throat> but we don't want to mess it up. We don't want to mislead. We don't, we don't want to cause confusion. Allowing these thoughts of unbelief to settle into our spirit can cause us to freeze with fright on an eternal stage. Stage fright. You ever been there? You ever stand up in front of people and you're supposed to speak and all of a sudden you're like... That's, that's Zachariah. I don't even know if he got that out. But that's what happens to us because we, we feel the pressure. We feel the weight. We know the importance of what we're supposed to say to people. And we just, we just don't know how to get it out. We don't know how to articulate it. I don't know if, if it's going to come out just the right way. And so I'll just, I'll just say nothing. <coughs> And it causes us, our unbelief causes us to be silent. We doubt that we can present the message in a way that others will receive it. We fear rejection of ourselves and of our message. 
Well, they might not like me. They might not accept me. They might not believe me. Here's the thing. Jesus has commanded us, the Great Commission, commanded us to be witnesses, not salesmen. Witnesses just have to tell what they've seen. Tell what they've experienced. There's a big difference between a witness and a salesman. Because the salesman, if you don't close the deal, you weren't successful. If you don't produce the sale, you failed. You're not getting any commission. You're going home hungry. A witness is not so. A witness shares what they know, what they've seen, what they've experienced. And when they're done, their, their task is complete. They have succeeded. That's all there is to it. So we have to remember what we've been called to do. We do our best to represent Him and to spread His message. This is what it comes down to. I, I do believe that we will be held accountable for the results of our silence. I do not believe we're going to be held accountable for the response of other people when we speak up. That should, that should prompt us to speak, not to stay silent. I don't want to stand before God one day and I don't know where the line's drawn. I don't want to be there and, and make it to heaven and yet have the Lord say, man, I really wish you would have told somebody. You, you did fine. You're doing good, Zach. You're doing all right, man. You're living righteously. You're following after me. You're keeping all my commandments. But you didn't tell anybody what I, what I said because you didn't believe it. Fortunately for Zachariah, this was a temporary thing. And it gets all done. And finally the, the child is born. And he has his voice back. And he spills his guts. Okay, this is what it's going to be. Like, we're going to name the child this. No, you're not. <laughs> We've got to spell this thing out. And he, he learns to speak. I'll close like this. Do you believe the promises we've been given? Because we get excited. We read scriptures about revival and end times. And man, we get all pumped up. But sometimes we get all pumped up just when we're around each other. And it, and it never leaves the parking lot. When, when you read about the fact that Jesus says He's going to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh in the end times. When we talk about the fact that the latter rain is going to be greater than the former rain. And all of these wonderful things, this, this great revival, this end time revival. We, get, we talk about the great falling away sometimes with more faith than we do the end time revival. Well, how's there going to be an end time revival if the people who know the message that brings about change into the hearts of others are walking around like this? I've got a secret. No, it's not meant to be a secret. It's meant to be a message that everybody hears. That everybody knows. It was a Jarius. Pretty sure it was Jarius. Who comes to Jesus with a great need. Jesus said, I'll, I'll do that. Just believe. And he's honest enough to say, I believe. But help my unbelief. 
That's where we dwell sometimes. God, I believe in here. I believe the message. I know it's true. I've seen what you've done for me. I've been impacted by it. It's changed my life. It's changed my family. It's lifted me up. It carries me through all my hard times. It's what produces joy. It's, it's everything to me. I believe it. But all of a sudden, when I get in the presence of lost people, I need you to help my unbelief. Because it's in those moments that I struggle really, really, really hard to open my mouth and say what I know. So as we close out this service today, we get ready to go into outreach on Wednesday and, and we've got Easter coming up and we've all got people that we, we care about and we love and we know that they're not right with God. I think that ought to be our prayer as we get ready to leave today. God, I believe. I'm living righteous. I'm doing the best I can. But I need you to help me in some areas that I struggle to believe. Because really, when I think about walking up to them and, and starting that conversation about Jesus, I don't believe they're going to respond the way you want them to. I don't believe I'm going to be able to put the words together in the right way. I don't believe I'm, I'm capable to teach that Bible study. God, I need you to help, help my unbelief. Because I don't want to walk around. Can you imagine for nine months having this knowledge that the entire world is about to change. Messiah is, is, is just right there within reach. Knowing that, that the people you're looking face to face was going to see Messiah in the flesh. And your son was about to be born and he was going to be the one that was going to pave the way and, and lead people to repentance. Having an earth-shattering message and for nine months you can't say a word. You can't tell your family you can't tell your friends. You can't tell anybody. People, people notice something's different. Man, that, that Zachariah, he's not, he's not the same. He went into that temple and he'd never been the same. That guy's changed. See, God brought about visible change in his life. But his unbelief kept him from communicating the source of that change. We have to eradicate this unbelief. So that we can reach the lost. I'm going to open the altar. I want to give you some time to pray. Seek the Lord today. Ask Him to help you. Maybe as I'm preaching, you you got specific people that are coming to mind. People that you've you've wanted to talk to. You've wanted to have some real, honest, straightforward conversations with, and you just you haven't done it. You've, you've molded that conversation over in your mind time after time after time after time. You've played it out a, a hundred different ways, but you've never muttered a word. God, help me. Help me to pull the trigger. Help me to have the conversation. Talk to the Lord. Hey folks, Pastor Jason here again. I pray the message you just heard inspires you to draw closer to God. 
We also believe at United Church that it's very important to be connected to a local assembly. If you're in the Fergus Falls or surrounding area in Minnesota, we would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. If you're not and you're looking for a local church where you live, we'd love to help with that as well. Take the time to stop by our website, fergusunited.org. Send us a message letting us know where you live, and we would gladly connect you with a great local assembly. God bless. Until next time.